Hey, welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Black Unicorns. I am, I always say I'm excited, but I am excited. What am I supposed to say, right? But I'm so excited to have Valen here to chat this week because it's a special week. It is the one year anniversary of Unapologetically Black Unicorns podcast. Who knew? I said I was going to do 15 episodes and here I am literally one year later, but let me um, have Jalen introduce herself. Thanks so much for having me, Karis. I'm <laughs> I'm excited to be here too. Um, so hi everyone. My name is Jalen Radzminski. I go by both she they pronouns. And a little bit about me. So I'm the founder of my own nonprofit called Countess In, also known as Countess Indiana. And that is one of the first Indiana-based nonpartisan nonprofits that educate, empower, and show our voices matter through civic engagement and voter turnout led for and by Black and BIPOC people with disabilities. And I also work at the Bazelon Center for Mental Law, which historically fought for um, the ADA and Olmstead to integrate people with disabilities. So those are like my two big hats. I wear many more, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll leave it there. I, I care about racial and disability justice and civil and voting rights. Wow. So you even like told me more about yourself than I knew before. this. So this is, uh, there's another reason why it's exciting to have this conversation because last year when I uh, launched the podcast, I had a birthday twin and her name is Dr. Sherelle Bellamy from Yale at the Perch program in Yale. And so when I got introduced to you, Jalen, I was saying, yeah, and this is the podcast and I would love to have you as a guest and, you know, we'll figure it out. And this is how I started. And my first guest was a birthday twin. And um, you asked me when was my birthday? And I said, oh, it's in June. And she goes, oh, my, you said, oh, my birthday's in June too. And so I'm like, yes, of course, of course your birthday's in June. Everybody's birthday's in June. It's the Gemini month, right? So they're going to be two times more of us. But, uh, and I never think when I say, yeah, but when in June that any would ever say June 10th, because that is a national holiday that I have declared as my birthday. I don't know that anybody's paying attention to that declaration, but when is your birthday, Jalen? It is also June 10th and it's our season. So. Oh, ta-ta. That is so, when you said that, I was like, get out of town. This is so amazing that we've got you and Sherelle and me, and I'm sure there are many, many others, of course. So that is one thing that we want to say to each other. Happy birthday to you. And now birthday triplet. Yes. <laughs> so let's start off by talking about um, a little bit about your work related to Count Us In. What actually made you start that nonprofit? Yeah, so I was, um, so I guess what really led me to start the nonprofit was just my lived experience. So a little bit more about me. I went to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. I was born and raised in Florida, Indiana. So I was just, you know, Indiana girl, moved to the South, got some new experiences. And like a lot of college students that go to school out of state, I was trying to vote absentee. And multiple years in a row, I was not able to vote. One year, it was because um, involuntary incarceration due to some of my um, mental health disabilities. And when I say incarceration, I I refer to um, some psychiatric institutions as carceral settings, um, just in my opinion. So that was one year I missed a critical time to be able to vote. And actually a year where there was a historic amount of Black um, city council people running. Very sad about that Mm -hmm. and that opportunity. And then the year after, I wanted to vote in a special election 
the absentee ballots were misprinted so many times that everything that I received was invalid to be able to send in. So by the time I received the correctly printed absentee ballot from my state, it was too late for me to be able to mail it back. And then finally, for the third election cycle in a row while I was out of state, I actually was interning for a fair fight action in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's like a huge um, voting rights org in uh, Georgia founded by Stacey Abrams, who is basically a voting rights icon. So I thought, oh, most definitely being part of this organization, I know all the things, I know how voter suppression works. If I reach out super early, maybe I can avoid missing my opportunity to vote again. And fortunately, despite reaching out a month and a half ahead of time to get my ballot, my secretary of state gave me her postcard for her campaign, but I didn't get my ballot on time to mail in. So my only option when I found out it wasn't coming in time was to drive nine hours from Georgia to Indiana. Mm. And at the time, like since I have a very severe anxiety, I wasn't able to drive at that time, let alone such a long drive like that. So just those experiences and reaching out to family and friends and realize like my mother also couldn't vote that day because they shut down the polls early having friends racially profile at the polls, I thought, okay, we need something like this in Indiana. Like, even though Indiana is typically looked at a conservative, non-battleground state, there's a lot of us in the BIPOC and disability community that want to vote. And there's a lot of policies that prevent us from doing so and voter suppression. And when you're in a state like that, of course, there's no battleground because we're just getting started and learning how to fight, you know, for mm-hmm. our voting rights, especially from our perspective. So that's what led me to start Count Us In. I thought if I could get just me and 20 other people to vote, cool. And it, it just started growing faster than I could have mm-hmm. imagined. And I was like, all right, this is a movement. If if this is what our community needs, then let's, let's do it. And we've been going since um, November 2019. So this is our wow. second full big election cycle in 2022. Wow. That's amazing. That, that is uh, such a powerful story because, you know, I had my own sort of, I'll call them quote unquote situation for many years. I wasn't allowed to vote because of, yes, I think there was some contribution to having a mental health condition and involvement with the, we'll call it the criminal injustice system, I think might be a fair way to put it. Uh, So um, because of that, Uh, There were many, many years where I wasn't able to vote. So yes, now I can vote. So I will say now I can vote and I have been taking uh, that responsibility very seriously. Yet there are many reasons why, you know, people are not able to vote. And I'm so glad that you're, you know, kind of doing this work um, to ensure that people have the opportunity to vote. What, What do you think about how we can empower, especially people with lived experience to be a part of ensuring folks uh, have access to voter information, um, you know, can help them get to the polls, uh, can help them, you know, hold meetings to help people maybe um, understand all of the, it's a lot of information you get in your pre-election material, you know, yes. and we don't want to <laughs> tell people what to do. We want people to vote their own conscience, but how, what can we do to help people maybe who are, you know, living in institutions and still have the right to vote? I think the first, and it's, it's, I hate that I even have to say this, but like the first thing is like people are very confused about what their rights are and not to the fault of their own, but I think because 
it's so hard for people to, to know their rights and even know like information of where they can go, that they even have the right to be able to vote upon like release of these type of situations because of just rumors and misinformation. And honestly, I mean, I think in a lot of issues, the state has to get more investment in reaching out to, you know, our communities. So I I think a big part of like my work is trying to make that information as easy, accessible and unintimidating as possible. So I really, it's really like showing up in those communities and being there for those communities, not just in voting years, but 365. So I, I work directly with people impacted by incarceration. Um, I go to barber shops. I go like, I'll go to visit like disability communities and sometimes like psychiatric impacted communities as well. Like really just showing up and talking to them. And I think that is like a first step, like people wanting to not just vote, but also be more civically engaged because so many times people don't even bother to reach out for us to get our input or even just to like help. So I think that's a big thing that those specific populations that we're a part of get ready to vote. And then I think the other part is like having people like as I've like grown and like big, now I have a college degree, I've I'm now in a like different position of privilege than I was before. So like, I just do a lot of that research to just make it really digestible and unintimidating. And even just listening, because some people are like, feel gaslighted by these systems, right? Like if you feel like your right has been stripped away, that people don't care about your voice, just really encouraging that their voice matters, that their vote can impact the the very systems that impacted our lives. And even just listening when they say, well, I don't want to vote, like just engaging and listening instead of trying to pressure. I always see that as like the first step before offering information like that, just listening, you know, just listening and helping people get involved in civic engagement the way they feel comfortable to. Right, right. I mean, it sounds so much like what we try to um, help people understand in the um, mental health field that sometimes people are refusing treatment or struggle to stay in or access treatment. And so we sometimes revert to force, um, to force them into treatment rather than kind of slowing everything down and figuring out, well, how can we meet people where they are? How can we just share information? How can we just listen to why folks might not be uh, willing to go into treatment, whether they believe they have a mental health condition or not? Sometimes that's not really what I worry about. I worry about what's that person's story? What's that, what's that person's experience? Where do they see their life now and where would they like to see their life go and how many different ways can we support a person to um, live the life that they want to, to, to live? So what can, what can we be, you know, I know what we can do after the fact, but what can we do before the fact to help legislators kind of reach out to us and say, hey, you know, we're really trying to solve this intractable issue. How can we work with you to do that? Like what, what, what more could we be doing, do you think? Yeah. And it's, this is always the rabbit hole I fall into because on one hand, it's like really convening and giving people in our communities, like black indigenous people of color and our disability community, the the opportunity to sit down with our representatives to really educate them on like what, like how our lives are impacted or even people from our community being in office, you know, because I think one barrier is like, we can go out and reach out to them and civically engage as much as possible. But if we don't have the right people in office to actually care about us, which is a huge amount of their constituents, by the way, their job is really to work for us and be our representative. I think one barrier is 
having the right people in office that are willing to listen and do that, that type of outreach like we were describing. I think a big part of it too is we're really starting to change the culture that to make it so it's not an option for them not to listen. Mm-hmm. For example, like in Indiana, in my hometown, this wave of, of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, more and more people are becoming, you know, braver to go out and be more active and, and be more targeted about their approaches. And I know, like, for example, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my hometown, we went to the budget hearing because when we talk about Black lives and when we talk about community-based mental health, a lot of that starts with budget hearings and investment and community-based and peer-led services that we know work. We live these experiences. And I'm sad to say when we showed up, they weren't used to us coming to their city council, you know, county council meetings, you know, and when we showed up, they called the police. And these are public, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. They called the police when you all came to an open public meeting that was a budget meeting that's open to the public. And that's what I mean by changing the culture. So many of these things when it comes, you know, like there's care core in California in, in my hometown, it was talking of, we, we showed up to talk about, we want more investments in this instead of the police budget, which is a very practical constituent concern. Like, Hey, they already got a lot of money. We see the budget. They have about, you know, high 60% of this budget. We're in, co- it was during COVID. We need help. We want healthcare and community-based healthcare to get some more money. Can we get that? But the moment we walked in there, they saw black bodies in a space that usually no one shows up to. So the immediate response is threats. And I think that is something that we got to talk about as well. Like they're so not used to us showing up to the space to even talk about what we need at this point in, in some areas that that's a huge cultural shift point as well. A huge step is like changing that culture. Like, no, this is a public hearing. This is a public space. You need to listen to us. You will listen to us because it's our right to be at least heard. So I think that's a huge part of it. In addition to having representatives that care and center us in the work or, or, our community being elected to do that type of work because right. civic engagement, there's so many different parts of it, mutual aid to protest, to voting, to showing up at these budget hearings, like how get in where you fit in y'all. Like <laughs> get in where you fit in. Hashtag that right now, right? Hashtag get in where you fit in. This yep. is so interesting what you said. And I think, you know, we're working all the time and, you know, it, it seems as if, Sometimes are we getting anywhere? And, you know, this past couple of weeks have just been horrible. So where do we look to those small wins? Like how do we kind of grab, you know, grab onto those and hold onto those to know that, that, that things are changing? Yeah. And I think that's something like I've been struggling a lot with as well. Like, for example, earlier this year and some of my other advocacy I really fought to to bring people with lived experience, not just in the mental health disability community, but also, um, you know, physical disabilities um, in the deaf community, blind community, et cetera, um, all all black women and non-binary to put together a campaign and rallies to really lift up um, the Supreme Court nomination of now the Honorable uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. And that was a huge moment for me where I, I was ready to be excited because it's like 
wow, like someone who looks like me and my moms and aunts and uncle, like this is amazing. But then of course you see negativity in some of the hearings, right? And, and some of the verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. And even just after in the times that we're living now that it's really hard because the Supreme Court plays a, a large role in a, a lot of our rights. And I've been really working on centering joy in just like the smallest little moments, like, okay, like things are very chaotic now, but like, I'm really grateful that we have at least one person coming in in this spot that looks like a lot of us, you know, she was wearing sister locks. So I'm like, this is a whole other like (laughs) earth shattering moment for all of us. But like, also just like, just trying to find a little joy, because I think part of like radical liberation is, is finding joy in that moment and not letting people take it away. There's a lot going on in the world, but it but if we can't find those little moments, it, it's going to be hard for us to keep going because this work is a marathon. And I'm I'm a bit younger in this space, but I'm, I'm starting to very quickly realize there's always something happening. So if yes. we just take care of ourselves and try to at least celebrate once in a while that there's progress, it, it can help us from not giving up, you know? Yeah. But I was curious what your thoughts were on this too. Like, how are you finding yeah. joy? Because it, it's, it's tough. On. It's yeah. tough. And sometimes I, I don't. And, you know, I'm very lucky. And well, my mother has passed away, but it would be I'd call my mom, right? So my mom's been gone now 11 years. And I would have never called my dad. I was, I, I'm close to both, very close to both. But you know, it's kind of like the mother daughter thing, you know, so mm-hmm. call my mom, mama, you know, and I'd be, you know, and, and then she wouldn't even, she wasn't always into kind of like what was happening in my world per se, but she was always supportive. Um, and always, well, what would make you feel better? Well, let's talk it out. Well, maybe we should bring your dad into this conversation. <laughs> this sounds like something your dad could help you with. Like, oh, I want to talk to you, mom. But, <laughs> but um, you know, since my mom's passing, my dad has been a tremendous, tremendous support. So you know, even the other, the other day, I was quite upset about sort of just the various things that have been happening in Buffalo and Texas and Orange County, yeah. California, et cetera. You know, I just called him and I said, you know, I... Why, why does my heart ache? It's just so horrible. And I'm doing all of this work and I know it's not about me and me alone, but why isn't anything better? I don't understand why isn't anything better. Now, of course, my father can't make that better and he can't, you know, but, uh, you know, he, he reminds me that, you know, we have to continue to do the work. And then he, he just changes the subject into something, you know, that's uh, pleasant for us to talk about. So it was kind of cute. It was like, mm, I see that. I see what you did right there. Mm-hmm. You took my mind off. Of, I gotcha. <laughs> you know, yes. he's, he's really cute that way. So, um, and then I, I met up with, uh, you know, two of, two of my other colleagues who are now becoming friends who don't, you know, live near me. And we got on Zoom and we had a Zoom happy hour and we just talked about fun stuff and laughed. And sometimes I'll pull Oracle or tarot cards and we'll we'll, uh, go over the Oracle and tarot cards and um, dream into our future. Even if they come up in the reverse, I always find something hopeful um, to, to talk about and to share because it's not all doom and gloom. It isn't all doom and gloom. And then um, I was, part, you know, such a good question. I was participating in another piece of work that was coming out of, is it New Jersey? Was it New Jersey who was doing it? I think it was New Jersey. I so yeah, I think it was New Jersey. And what was interesting is um, we were looking at the eight dimensions of wellness, which is something from Dr. Peggy Swarbrick and SAMHSA kind of advanced it and not advanced it, but meaning kind of uh, made sure that it got, you know, dispersed out to the public. And we were looking at the eight dimensions of wellness to see if it resonates with Black youth. 
That was really interesting to see if some of those dimensions re resonate. And one of the dimensions is sleep. And, and I said, I wonder if we should be talking about rest. Like sleep yeah. is one thing. We know we need our eight hours or more or less, depending upon who you are and what you need. But we also need this thing called rest, which isn't about sort of that deep sleep and kind of thing you do at night, but it's about, you know, what do you do to kind of step away and get sort of like recentered, regrounded, you know, and literally like take a nap. You know, have you heard that yeah. song, take a nap? <laughs> you know, I want to <laughs> take a nap. I got to take a nap. Like that kind of thing. I'm not going to sing. You don't want to hear it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm finding that sometimes I will be like, okay, I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah. I love that you said you call your, well, you were calling your mom and now you call your dad. Cause I feel like I do that in these kind of movements too. Like just not movements, moments as well. Moments of movement two words at once <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but also just like rest could even be like just being with community because I I've just been reading some things and I've, I've just been reading like how like white supremacy and all the oppression that we're experiencing like it, it is a traumatic event for us to process but also like very isolating it can be very easy to feel like yeah. I'm the only one and I feel like it really helps me understand I'm not the only one so like that's a healing thing. And also just hanging out, just hanging out with our community is just yeah. so transformative and just celebrating the tiny things when we can. And I was watching this episode of Queer Eye, so I'm probably exposing like the type of shows that I watch, <laughs> but you know, like they do the makeover, they transform people's lives. You know, yeah, there was an yeah. episode recently on, she was a black woman who opened up her own, just like, um, it was like a hospital nursing school where she had all BIPOC students and she was providing help to the community in the middle of the pandemic, just a black woman. And what stuck out to me is she was saying one of the, the people on Queer Eye, he was asking her like, oh, well, how do you how do you take breaks? How do you how do you celebrate yourself? How do you celebrate that even in all this chaos, you're helping all these people in your community? She's like, I just sleep. And that, that would have been my issue. Like, I love to go to bed. I love to sleep. But then he told her, he's like, well, that's great you're resting in that way, but you deserve more than sleeping through your celebrations. And that really mm. stuck out to me. Like, I love my naps. I love to sleep, but I also like, I want to learn how to rest better, like mm -hmm. awake, you know, like yeah, I want to have yeah. pleasant moments awake, like with people yeah. like you cares with people, yeah. like, you know, calling my dad, calling my mom too. Like, how are we celebrating and resting and yeah. being in the moment and, and that's so hard so like I feel like it is. a lot of us are working on that you know right and I think that pandemic moving everything for those of us who have been so fortunate let's just be clear moving everything into the virtual space though hard it has been right I think the other part of it is that you know when you're in an office so if you're in an office or you're in a in a co-working space your day is scheduled such that like you come in, you get settled in, you get your coffee, you say hi to people. And I'm, I'm generalizing, right? So I don't, you know, this is how I see the day. Uh, you're talking to people, you know, you sit down, you kind of get yourself squared in, and then you hop onto your first either activity or to your first meeting. Well, look at that. I have another meeting on the books um, at, in an hour. Let me um, make sure I get up and freshen my face, go to the bathroom, walk down the hall. Oop, I got to go talk to somebody over in that next office. Let me go over there 
there, do that. So your day is kind of mixed up, right? Between seeing people, talking to people, engaging with people that have nothing to do with work. You just happen to be like talking about, well, how are your kids? You know, walking from one meeting to the other, perhaps, or um, and engaging with a lot of different people. But there are these little, I don't want to call them built-in breaks, but they almost are like breaks when you have to go from one meeting to another, one building to another, one office to another, or you just want to go down the hall and say hey to someone. Um, you can't do that when you're in your own home working on Zoom. And, and I found that um, how meetings were being scheduled, they were li- literally being scheduled back to back because you're captive. Yeah. You're literally captive to like your you know, computer screen. I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to have to redo that. So I I basically said, you know, no back-to-back meetings, either 15 minutes or 30 minutes between each meeting. Um, I started putting in my schedule, what I call Karis busy time. Karis is not busy. Well, Karis is busy. She's busy taking care of Karis. So that's the time where I'm going to take a walk outside, or I'm going to run down to my favorite coffee shop and, you know, grab a iced tea or whatever. And I have to put that in there intentionally. It literally took me a year to figure out that this was going on. I could not figure out why I was so dang tired. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of being in community, I hadn't thought about that one. I'm going to have to work on that one a little bit more. I'm going to have to really work. I am going to a Comic-Con. I am going to go to a Comic-Con. That's being in like a big community. But yeah, yeah. I don't know what Comic-Con you're going to. I've never been and I've been a big anime fan like my whole life. And I was like, I need to... (laughs) So I, I, I'll spill the beans. I, I have talked about this on other on other um, episodes, but um, I, I love Comic Con. I've gone to the one in San Diego. There's a, a sister one in um, Anaheim and another sister one in Long Beach. But I'm also uh, go to one in Washington D.C. that I volunteer at called Blurred Con, which means Black yeah. Nerd, um, and that one is coming up in in July. Plug for Blurred Con, I guess. So <laughs> that's the one that I'm going. I'm to. I might come I'm meet very. you there. Okay, I will send you the information. It's a lot of fun. Um, Well, of course, I call everybody here an unapologetically Black unicorn. I never call them strong Black women. I never call them super women. So let's talk a little bit about that quick before we kind of wrap up. But, you know, I I think this whole thing about resting and napping and self-care is also kind of taking off the superwoman cape or never putting it on to begin with. I don't know. What do you think? I feel like self-care has kind of been co-opted into this buzzword too, where like, and and I I don't know if I disclosed earlier, I I identify as um, Black and Japanese, but I feel like our bodies aren't just like as, you know, BIPOC communities that our bodies are perceived a certain way. Sometimes it's not even like I need the eye mask on. Like sometimes it's just getting rid of the assumption that I'm always having to fix everything, you know, like, that mm, like mm. we're always asked to like fix everything whether that's like sharing oh what does the black community think or like oh I'm gonna reach out because we have to do something because there's racism in this country it's kind of like hello <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, we've yes. been we've been doing this we've been known knowing this so like sometimes I think it's even just communities within and outside of our community like understanding that like we're not invincible like offer us support sometimes because I do notice and just I don't know if it's just like an overall bias thing people have a tendency to check in and be a little bit more sensitive to our white colleagues and sometimes forget because we're painted as a super or angry person or intense persona sometimes that we also don't need support and we don't need every time a crisis happens 
I don't think it should be on us every single time to be like the sole provider of, I mean, it should be led foreign bias, of course, but like, I feel like every single time it shouldn't, the labor shouldn't all fall on us to be part of the solution. Right. I think, I think that's an important part. Like, okay, yeah, I can go home, have a wonderful nap and, you know, use my, I'm, you know, my little under eye, cause I love those too. But then it's like, I don't want to be drained the whole day to feel like internally that I'm able to deserve that or even just I shouldn't have to go through that in the first place you know like we shouldn't have to go through trauma for these conversations to already be happening in the first place so that's kind of like I've been really rethinking what self-care even means just beyond like I need to get better at my individual ritual. It sounds like you got a good one going on right now, but like also just like standing firm in my boundaries, you know, like within and outside of work. So like, and just understanding I'm deserving of the walk, even if I didn't contribute to how to fix racism today, like I'm a human being, I I need to walk like, you know? Yes. yes. And even if you didn't fix it, you you experienced it more than likely. Right. I think, I mean, this, this is the point that I was really trying. I was hoping that our consumer movement could hear and, and and I'll, you know, kind of say something about that right quick though, was that, you know, the expectation for people of color is don't make us always do the labor and the work. Our expectation is that you're doing it too, because you're affected in the same way we're affected, but we're, we're just affected by it from a population standpoint, disproportionately, if you will. If we're talking about homelessness in particular, you know, it's, it's, it's majority black and brown people who are homeless. So if you're able to speak to that, then everybody gets to be housed ensure, and, and ensuring that uh, it meets the cultural uh, needs of black and brown communities. And I think the consumer, consumer peer, whatever you want to call it out here, community heard it and, you know, now are attending the larger coalition meetings and trying to figure out how to be uh, better partners. So, so I think, um, you know, we moved, I don't, I don't think the it's, it's all done yet. I think there, we're all still trying to figure it out, but for the most part, many of the folks from that consumer movement have taken part in the larger cross disability and, and black um, movement. So that's cool. And I was, um, you know, thinking about, of course, what Audrey Lord um, had said about um, yeah. self care, care, not which is, selfish. you know, yeah, that's right. Caring for myself is not self-indulgent, it's self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Yes. Um, so I think that is, you know, 1000% true. And that's the other thing I do. I go, I go to my, I go to my kind of like, heroes, sheroes, anyone owes, <laughs> you know, and I'll like, um, look at some of what they've written and look at their words and know, you know, they got through it. If they got through it, they're leaving these gems at, of uh, how to do it and words of wisdom that can sort of feed your soul when your soul is feeling like hurt or empty. So um, that's the other thing that I do. So if you have one, I would say, and it doesn't have to be one word, but if you have, I call it wisdom dropping uh, for our listeners, is there something that you'd really like to leave the listeners with before we wrap up? What you shared and put my brain in like five different directions. (laughs) (laughs) I think centering that quote from Audre Lorde is is a good one. That's one I think about a, a lot as well. And I know we were chit-chatting. I've been listening to uh, Kendrick Lamar's (laughs) new album as well. Um, And and what stood out to me is like, he said like, Kendrick made you think about it, but I'm not your savior. I've like, Mm. I inserted my name, like Jalen made you think about it, but I'm not your savior. You know, like just we're experiencing this, but like, you know, listeners that aren't in our community, like understanding, like it shouldn't be on us to save everything every time. We're already doing the work every day. And, 
there is another quote in his other song, Count Me Out. Like he was saying, I, he basically said in the lyric, I've been doing my best, but you told me to work harder without lifting my head up. That left me fed up. Wow. I was yes. just like, you know, like we've all been, we're, you know, it's easy to get frustrated, but it's just like, understand like some, we need to be able to, you know, like we need to be able to lift our head up you know, like now I'm thinking about Tupac, but like, and a lot of like fem- black feminists and like, you know, like black men lyrics, I've been trying to heal through music too. just realize like, mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of Martin Luther King's like principles of nonviolence. And, and it doesn't mean just like, oh, don't be violent, but rather just like, how are we doing movements in our communities? And what, like two of my favorite principles is like protecting your spirit against violence. Mm-hmm. And I think just what our conversation and like the lyrics I've been listening to personally is like, I'm realizing like, I can't keep going if I don't protect my spirit from violence. Yeah. It doesn't just hurt mm-hmm. you. It hurts everyone, but also just like remembering his other principle that the universe is going to be on the side of justice. Yes. So I don't know, like just listen to music and like reflecting on quotes like Audre Lorde, like Martin Luther King, uncensored, by the way, because sometimes people try to censor their stuff. They were all radical, but like, just, (laughs) you know, but like just centering, like, okay, even the, like the people we read about in these books, like they, and like artists now, like just people in any part of the movement, they're talking about this. And I think we should keep talking about it. We should keep thinking about how we're protecting our, our spirits and, and our health as well. But also just remembering, like, this is the long haul, like, and, and yeah. the universe will be on the side of justice. Like, we're, we're going to be all, we're eventually going to be all right, but we have to stick together, you know? So that's kind of what I've been meditating on. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think that's such a great way to end. And, you know, I'm going to pop some Nina Simone in there because I listen to Nina Simone. Yes, we have the <laughs> same know? playlist, I feel like. <laughs> yes. It's like, okay, I got to turn on some Nina Simone because I just need to like, I just need it. I just need it. And Summer of Soul, oh my gosh. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I mean, you know, these conversations are, uh, yes, for our listeners. Um, I will say selfishly sometimes, yes, they're for me. And this was so helpful for me because, you know, I can get into that dark, icky space. And, but when I'm talking to the guest, I feel so uplifted. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you too. <laughs> and let's both say happy birthday to Sherelle. Happy birthday, Sherelle. Happy birthday, Sherelle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. And for our listeners, remember to join in to Unapologetically Black Unicorns for another episode next week. And yes, you can subscribe. This is not a monetized podcast, but what it does is it helps ensure that other people in the quote unquote algorithm and in the world can get access to this wonderful information. So thanks so much for joining in.